That's because she uh, recently had back surgery, so she's uh, in sort of a reclined recliner back there, actually. It's a privilege for us to be with you here tonight, and uh, we've been praying for your pastor, Jim Soule. My wife and I have, and, and I know other pastors and churches that have been praying for Quidnesset during this season as well. As uh, Jonathan mentioned, uh, this is coming home to me and my wife. I attended Quidnesset from the time I was one year old for about the next 35 years. My wife and I were married right there. I was baptized right back there. She was the uh, pastor's daughter at the time, and I stole her away. And then it was uh, 1982 that uh, this church and the leaders decided to uh, start a new congregation in the town of Exeter, where by God's grace, I was privileged to serve for 37 years. And uh, had a team of us actually left uh, Quidnesset in order to start that new work. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we remember the words of our Lord Jesus that without me you can do nothing. So I pray for your help tonight, Lord. I pray that you will speak through me from your word. I pray that you will encourage the hearts of these friends who have gathered this evening, and especially that you will lift burdens this night. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray, amen. In public buildings today, there are usually mounted on the walls fire extinguishers. And the directions are very simple. In case of fire, I'm going to read them to you, pull the ring pin, start from eight feet back, aim at the base of the fire, use the extinguisher upright, squeeze the level lever, rather, and sweep side to side. Following those instructions could save a building from, from destruction, it could also save your life, perhaps, following those simple steps in case of fire. So my question for you tonight, friends, is do you know what steps to take in case of fiery trial? In case of fiery trial. Because the Bible promises that trials are going to come upon all of us. The book of Job says, Man is born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. When you light a fire, have you noticed which direction the sparks fly? They go up. And Job says that we are born for trouble as surely as those sparks fly upward. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. That's a guarantee. Paul said we must pass through many tribulations to enter into the kingdom of God. Of God. Trials are, in, are inevitable. They take various forms persecution, physical illness, the death of a loved one, loss of a job, wayward children, loss of friends, spiritual oppression, and I'm sure you can add to the list. They come in all shapes and sizes. And I would like to read for you a passage this evening. If you'll turn in your Bible, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 
because Peter is writing to a group of churches, actually, that were facing fiery trials. And I'm going to read beginning 1 Peter 5 at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, fiery trials. If you look back at chapter 4 at verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He was writing to churches that were in what is now modern-day Turkey, provinces along the northern, in the northern part of that nation, Christians there, and they were on the verge of persecution. It doesn't look like um, it had broken out completely, like martyrdom at this point, but the believers apparently were being intimidated, ridiculed, and they were beginning to suffer the first signs of persecution, which, be, which would become much more serious as the days unfolded. Now, you probably have a favorite verse or two or passages that you love to go to, promises you like to claim when you're facing fiery trials in your own life. And there are many such verses in the Bible. This is my favorite passage, my go-to passage in times of fiery trial. And I'll tell you why. Because it doesn't just have a wonderful promise in it. It gives you the actual steps to take when you're facing a fiery trial so that you can cope with the trial. It tells you how to respond. And those are the steps I'd like to share with you tonight. Just like those steps on the fire extinguisher. This passage will show us how to face fiery trials. And you don't have to take notes tonight. If you'd like afterwards, I ha have this message in a little pamphlet form, and you can uh, grab hold of it from me after the service. So first step in coping with fiery trials, and it's right there in verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. At the proper time, he may exalt you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So the first step is, you and I must recognize and accept the fact that every trial is part of God's plan for our lives. And we must be willing to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Ultimately, it's God's own hand that is pressing down upon us, either by divine intention or divine permission, we pass through fiery trials. 
One of the trials that these friends were facing, in fact, the major one I think Peter is, is uh, considering here in this passage, in this book, was persecution. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Their suffering wasn't for anything wrong that they had done. No, they were standing up for Jesus. They were being faithful witnesses for him. But they were facing trials nevertheless, in fact, probably because of their witness. So we ought not to despise the chastening hand of the Lord. Notice he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. That goes back to the previous verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we definitely are going to want to humble ourselves under his mighty hand when we're facing trials because that's the way to receive his grace is by humbling ourselves under his mighty hand. And God will lift us up at the proper time. He has two ways of lifting us up. He either changes the circumstances and so the trial is over Or he changes us. He changes us in our hearts, in our character. He refines us. And in that way, he lifts us up so that we're able to live above the circumstances, so to speak. Now, my friends, Jesus, our Lord, is the the ideal example of following this instruction of humbling yourself under God's mighty hand so that he may exalt you at the proper time. He did so on Maundy Thursday. You're going to celebrate Maundy Thursday in this church this coming Thursday during Holy Week. And what did Jesus do on that occasion? He was in agony in the garden. He was facing the cross the next day He was going to suffer the wrath of God, the punishment of God for the sins of the world, for you and me. And he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He he accepted God's plan for his life at that particular time as he knelt there in prayer before the Father. And my friends, God did lift him up at the proper time. Three days later, he raised him from the dead. So he, he followed through on this, God the Father fo- followed through on this promise. If you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, he will raise you up at the proper time. Sometimes he raises us up in this life. But for sure, we know that he ultimately will raise us up to glory with his son, Jesus Christ. Because if you're a believer in Jesus, and I trust that you are, you're going to share in his resurrection one day, and you will be glorified with Christ when he returns. So that's the first step. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is a step that you can take in prayer. When you're going through the fiery trial, Kneel down, just as Jesus did, kneel down in prayer and say, Father, your will, not my will, be done. I humble myself before you. I trust you to lift me up at the proper time, just as you have promised in your word. That was step one. Step two, 
Cast all your anxiety on him. That's what it says in verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So Peter assumes that Christians going through difficulties will be prone to worry. Do you think he had that right? Are you apt to worry? Are you tempted to worry and to be anxious when you're facing fiery trials? Peter assumed that you would be. And so he says, here's what you do with those anxieties, those worries. Like a heavy burden or bundle, you need to cast those anxieties, those worries onto the Lord. It says, cast all your anxieties, not just some of them. And I'm sure that the meaning is, cast those anxieties on the Lord and leave them there. Leave those worries with him. Don't take them back upon yourself once again, which I think we're apt to do. We need to give him all the burden and we need to leave that burden of worry upon him. Don't think that you or I can proudly manage the problems that we face in life alone. No, we need to cast those anxieties upon him. You know, uh, Jay Adams has a little pamphlet, uh, I forget the title of it, but it has to do with coping with anxiety. And he tells the story about Tom. And uh, Tom, uh, one day, is walking along the sidewalk, and he's just whistling, and looks like he doesn't have a, a, a worry in the world. And his, his friend Bob sees him, and he knows that Tom is a perpetual worrywart. So he wondered, what, what's going on here? And so he goes over to Tom and says, Tom, uh, you, you look like you don't have a care in the world. What happened? Oh, well, I hired someone to do all my worrying for me. You did what? I hired someone. Really? How, how much does it cost? Oh, just $100 a day. $100 a day? How, how are you going to pay that? Oh, that's his worry. <laughs> But listen, friends, we have someone who will handle all of our worries, and it doesn't cost a penny. His name is the living God, the Lord of the universe. He wants us to cast our cares, our worries, upon him. Now, we may have responsibilities to fulfill in a situation that's causing us anxiety. Usually we do have responsibilities. So we need to care for those responsibilities, but then we need to leave the outcome in God's hands and not worry about it. The old King James says, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Well, it's using that word care in two different, in two different ways. Cast your anxieties, your worries, because God is concerned about you. He loves you. He's your shepherd. He takes care of all of his sheep. He takes care of each one of his sheep. And so that's the reason why you should cast your cares, your anxieties on the Lord. So I mentioned earlier that my wife and I were married here. Did I say it was 47 years ago? Right there. And uh, boy, what an exciting day that was. But also... 
you know, a little nerve-wracking, right? You're going to get married, and you're, uh, and, and I'm the guy, and I'm going to be responsible for this lady for the, uh, for, for how many, however many years God gives us together. So we got married on a Friday evening here. And I had already moved into the apartment ahead of time, and my wife was going to move in right after the wedding. And so I got up on Friday morning, and I went out to the garden on, on this property uh, where, the, uh, where the trash can was. I was emptying the garbage. I was trying to get the place all clean, you know, for my, my new wife, right? And as I, as I came to the garden... I noticed a bird there, and there were these poles with strings wrapped around them that the previous renter had been using for stakes, and a robin was there, and its claws were all tangled and caught in the string. And when he, when he saw me, oh, he's, he's flapping uh, wild in wild excitement and worry, uh, but he could not free himself. So I went back into the, into the apartment, uh, put on some gloves, got some scissors, and I walked over uh, to the bird once again, and he huddled down in fear, and I went snip, 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 and he flew away. And I thought about that. God took care of that bird on my wedding day. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from the finger of God, the Bible says. I felt like that was a sign from God that he was going to take care of me and my wife and provide for us all our married life. And praise God he has. I can testify to that 47 years later. So I didn't need to worry. Because God cares for you. He cares for me. We need to cast our burdens on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved or to be shaken. Psalm 55:22 says... So again, step two is, something, is a step that you can take in prayer, in deliberate prayer. You can say, Lord, I'm going to take these worries, these anxieties, these anxious thoughts that are multiplying within me. I'm going to take that bundle and I'm going to cast those onto you. And if they come back again, I'm going to cast them on you again. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, who, that passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now notice what those two verses say. They say, instead of being anxious, pray. Replace your anxious thoughts with prayers. It's virtually impossible to just wipe worry off your brain. Your, your mind's never going to stop working. But what you can do is replace worry with prayer and entrust those anxious thoughts to the Lord. That's the second step in facing fiery trials. Step three, verse eight and into nine. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. So step three is resist the devil. Resist the devil. 
First, we need to be alert and aware of the devil's activity. That's what it says at the beginning of verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. The devil is this adversary like a, like a prowling lion, roaring, seeking to devour us. Every trial that comes into our lives that God permits or intends in his sovereign grace is for our good. From God's perspective, God wants to, uh, the devil wants to use that same trial to destroy us. We need to be alert to his activity. Uh, behind uh, every human enemy, there's actually a spiritual enemy, the devil. He's the accuser. He's the slanderer, the Bible tells us. <clears throat> Peter recognized that behind the forces of persecution that the Christians in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, were facing was the devil. And he's, he's alerting them to that fact, that they needed to be aware that, that Satan was at work and they needed to resist him. We see examples of this in Scripture. For example, Job. The devil was prowling a, a, around seeking to devour Job. And God permitted all those calamities that came into Job's life. But the devil did not succeed in devouring Job. Ultimately, Job remained faithful. He, he wobbled in there. Boy, you read the book of Job. Uh, he, he went through it. And it wasn't just the physical trials, the, the inner agitation and, and doubts that he experienced along the way, but he never turned his back on the Lord. He remained faithful to God, and so Satan did not devour him, but instead God brought blessing out of the trial. So Nero... Emperor Nero would soon actually begin to martyr Christians. We don't know the exact date that Peter wrote this, although uh, early uh, Christian tradition tells us that, that Peter himself was one of those who was martyred in Rome in the, in the 60s of the first century. And uh, Nero was behind those trials, throwing Christians to the lions. Christians were actually turned into human torches and burned. Talk about fiery trials that they faced in those days. Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. I hope you've read that book. Christian making his journey from the celestial city. This is an allegory to, I'm sorry, from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And along the way, at one point, he comes to a place on the path where there are two lions that are roaring. And he's afraid and he wants to turn back. But there is an inn or a house just beyond and someone emerges and says, don't turn back, the lions are chained. And so Christian walks right through between the lions. He's just out of their reach and he safely makes the house on the other side. You see, that, that's the way it is for Christians. Now, sometimes the roarings of the devil can be so loud that we have trouble hearing the promises of God. And we listen more to the devil's roars to, than to God's promises. But my friends, tonight my whole objective is 
that this is a passage that you're going to use in the future when you're facing fiery trials and you're going to listen more to the word of God and take these steps than to the roars of the evil one. Later, Christian faces a dragon, a terrible dragon named Apollyon, representing the devil. And at that point, he's clothed with the armor of God, and he uses that equipment, the the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and the weapon of all prayer, and he wards off the enemy in that battle. So how exactly do we resist the devil? Firm in your faith, it says there in verse 9. How do we do it? I think the key is in prayer, we come to God and we claim the truth that Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, has already defeated the evil one. The Son of God appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's 1 John 3.8. Do you know that verse? The Son of God appeared, past tense, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus' first coming was to destroy the devil's works. Do you think Jesus succeeded in his mission? Do you think he accomplished it? Well, if he did, we need to take hold of that truth by faith, in prayer. Lord, you've defeated the devil, and I lay hold of that victory that you've already accomplished on my behalf by faith. I believe that's an important step that we take in prayer in, in defeating the enemy. And then also the armor of God. Do you know where the armor of God passage is in, in the Bible? Where is it? Ephesians 6. There was a woman, she's still alive, at Exeter Chapel, where I served, who one day when I was visiting her told me that she prayed over Ephesians 6 every morning at the start of the day. She put on the armor of God. She would pray over that passage as she began each new day. She read other parts of the Bible too, I'm sure. But that was sort of her go-to passage and she would don the armor. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The hymn writer says that's how you do it. You put on the armor by prayer. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So I've given you three steps so far in facing the fiery trial, in coping with it, in overcoming it. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Cast all your anxiety on him. Be aware of the devil and resist him by faith. And here's the last. And this is a combination of two thoughts that are in the final verses here. Keep perspective. Keep perspective. It's so easy in the midst of of the flames to lose our perspective. And we can lose perspective in two ways. One way is to think that my situation is unique. 
No one's ever gone through it, what I'm facing now. But look what he says in verse 9, halfway through. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's always true that others have passed through those same kinds of trials ahead of, ahead of you. Persecution, in, in the case of First Peter, but it doesn't matter. Loss of job, death of a loved one, physical illness, whatever. Others have faced those trials. You're not alone. Other Christians have faced them. Other Christians have faced them and gotten through those trials by faith, by taking these steps or other steps in order to endure them. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation, no testing, no trial has come upon you except what is common to human beings, to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you're able to endure, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to stand up under it. That's God's promise. He will see you through, as we said earlier. Even Jesus has faced every kind of trial that we face. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16 says, He was tempted or tested in every point, just like us, without sin. And therefore, we can go to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need because we have a sympathetic Savior at God's right hand who is there to help us. He's the God of all grace. So no place for self-pity, no place for despair, because others have faced these same kinds of trials. And here's the other way that we can lose perspective. We think that this trial is never going to come to an end. It's never going to come to an end. Deliverance will never come. But look what verse 10 says. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. From God's perspective, and that's the perspective that really counts, our trials, our sufferings, are for a little while. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And this is the only promise in this particular passage. The others are actually exhortations or instructions about how to deal with trials. But he closes with this promise. He says, After a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, when all of our trials will be over, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Think about Peter, who wrote these words. He faced a trial in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he actually failed the test. Three times he denied the Lord. But the Lord did restore him after his resurrection. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. And he was restored and he became the leader of the 12 apostles as the church was launched there in the book of Acts. At last we will enter into eternal glory in Christ Jesus Jesus. 
and all of our trials will be over. So my friends, I would like to encourage you, the next time you face a fiery trial, maybe you're going through one right now, take these steps. All of them can be taken in prayer. That's vital. Get down on your knees, spread this passage in front of you, Humble yourselves, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Tell him, not my will, but your will be done, Father. I trust you to lift me up at the proper time. Take all of your anxieties and cast them on the Lord like a heavy bundle, knowing that he cares for you, and leave those worries there. Turn those worries into prayers. And then... Resist the devil. Be, be alert to his activity. And in prayer, say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I resist the devil. I submit myself to God. Lord, I thank you that I have victory over the evil one because of what Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection. I put on the armor of God. I resist the devil. And then the last step, just tell the Lord, you, you know that others have gone through these trials. You know this isn't going to last forever, but a little while, and that the God of all grace, you tell him that you're trusting him to restore you, to renew you, to establish you. Let's bow in prayer right now, please. I'm going to pray through this passage right now step by step, and I'm going to invite you to pray it along with me. After each step, I'm going to leave a moment of silence. If you're going through a trial, a test, at this time, I encourage you to take this step with me in prayer. I'll pray in the plural on behalf of all of us. Father in heaven, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we now humble ourselves before you under your mighty hand. We pray that your will might be done in our lives, not our will. And we trust you, Lord, to lift us up at just the right time, as you did your son on the third day. Father, all the anxieties and worries that we have in our hearts, in our minds, we right now, in this moment, cast those worries on you. Take them all, Lord. We trust them to you. Thank you that you care for us, that you love us like a shepherd for his sheep. Father in heaven, we would not fixate on the evil one, but we would be alert and aware that he is like a lion prowling about, roaring, seeking to devour us, to destroy us. But right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we resist him, we resist his accusations, we resist his lies, firm in our faith in you, trusting you because you have overcome the evil one through your death and resurrection. And Father, we confess that we are part of a worldwide brotherhood brothers and sisters who belong to you, 
Thank you that you have brought many through severe trials all down through the ages. And we would keep that in mind, Lord, that others have gone through trials before us, just of the same kind even that we face. And we thank you that these trials only last for a little while. And we trust you that you will yourself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us, and ultimately bring us into eternal glory with your Son, Jesus Christ.